Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it. You love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today, we got Josh Williams on the show with us. You guys might not know too much about J-Dub, but believe me, you're going to learn today. He was real cool to chat with. We had Alex LeBay, his teammate, on a couple weeks ago at DGM Racing. We had Josh on this week, and man, it was a great conversation. Will not disappoint. Plus, we'll chat a little bit about the July 4th weekend at Road America, won by the road course king, Chase Elliott. But before that, we're paying homage to an American hero on the heels of an American weekend. Papa Siegel has more in this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Dude. Welcome, everyone, to episode 115. This week, we remember a legendary NASCAR car owner, an American hero. When I think about Car 15, I think of the great Bud Moore. Moore described himself as an old country mechanic who loved to make him run fast. Was that ever the truth? He was a championship crew chief before becoming a championship car owner. And the list of drivers who drove for him reads like a who's who of NASCAR. Just to name a few, Fireball Roberts, Cotton Owens, David Pearson, my favorite Bobby Allison, Donnie Allison, Cale Yarbrough, Leroy Yarbrough, Bobby Isaac, Daryl Waltrip, Buddy Baker, Benny Parsons, Ricky Rudd, and a young gun named Earnhardt, who drove a Ford, of all things, for more before moving on to Chevy and Richard Childress. Perhaps more important than his racing accomplishments, Bud Moore was a decorated World War II veteran and part of what Tom Brokaw refers to as the greatest generation. He participated in the Normandy landings that led to the liberation of Europe, served in the Battle of the Bulge, and was part of General Patton's liberating force that came to the rescue of American forces under siege in Baston. Moore received five Purple Hearts and two Bronze Stars during his time in the Army. That, my friends, is the resume of a true American hero. Bud Moore won 63 races in all as a car owner, 35 of which were credited to the 15 car. He also won two Cup Championships and was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame as part of its second class in 2011. He passed away in 2017 at the age of 92, after what no doubt was a full life well lived. That's all for this week. Back to you, Duve. Kachiga! Kachiga! Thank you, Dad, and thank you, Mom, at the end there for the Kachiga. I thought I wasn't going to get one for the foreseeable future, but I'm glad I got one. Let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old fashioned. <laughs> Race recap time. Chase Elliott, he is Thanos. He is inevitable. He wins at Road America. 
Once again, a road course win for Chase Elliott. No surprise, right? Started in the back, but slowly, methodically, eventually worked his way up to the front. His seventh road course win of his career. And get this, Tony Stewart has eight, second all-time. Jeff Gordon has nine, most all-time. Chase Elliott might pass them by the end of the year. When you think about it, we got Watkins Glen, Indianapolis, and the Roval. He goes three for three. He's got the all-time record to himself. Yeah, super cool. An honor to be even in the in, in at least like four lines below them, much less a couple. So um, just uh, really, really proud of our team. And, yeah, we really kind of struggled yesterday and, and never got into a good rhythm, I didn't feel like, on my end. Um, and I thought we could be a little better with the car. I made a lot of changes overnight um, and kind of started the day. And I, I thought that I – I liked it, I thought, uh, but I just still wasn't in a good rhythm. About halfway, I felt like I started to kind of put things together and start minimizing some mistakes I had been making all weekend and, and then started finding some pace. Um, so, yeah, after that, it got fun, and I was able to get a little, you know, get, get a flow going and get in rhythm. And then from there, we were able to uh, get on. You know, we kind of got caught up from our bad starting spot got on the same strategy as the leaders and then and then from there we were able to go to work and uh, had things going good enough to to keep up and, and get by those guys let's hear something from the crew chief perspective and now the team management perspective from Chad Knaus at Hendrick Motorsports how does one specific team one specific driver how do they hit on it better than everybody else in the organization is it the driver is it the car is it a combination Let's hear from Chad Knauss himself. He is a seven-time champ, after all. Well, I think that, yeah, obviously, they've got a great baseline package that they're very comfortable with. So Chase, as he goes to these racetracks, albeit the, the tracks are, <clears throat> excuse me, a little unique. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, he knows that the car has got a very familiar feel for him, and the guys do a really good job of, of matching that and working on the car for Chase. And I think as he showed up here, maybe some of his uncomfortableness was, was mainly him just getting – acclimated to the racetrack and once he was able to get out there make some more laps had a night to digest what went on throughout the course of practice he was able to analyze it get out there um, and start to methodically you know pick things off and honestly starting in the rear maybe wasn't a bad thing you know, he made the pace is a little bit slower back there he probably was able to pick some people off learn some critical turning points where guys were making mistakes and he was able to capitalize on those and as he started to really start to string together some good laps it was pretty evident really quickly that he was fast Overall, Road America, I thought it was pretty cool. I wasn't able to watch the entire race live. I was chilling with some friends for July 4th weekend, but I enjoyed the scenery. It was really cool, and the fans showed up in droves. Tons of people came out and celebrated America's birthday out there for July 4th weekend. I'm cool if it stays on the weekend. America's in the track name, America holiday, their birthday. I mean, I'm cool if we keep this tradition going. I, I want to get out there for some beer, some brats, some family, some friends, some racing. I'm all for it. Before we throw it over to our interview with Josh Williams, we once again, we got a sponsored read on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, Rhino Classifieds. They came on the scene recently with a bang, giving away Vaughn Gittin Jr.'s drift truck. And Rhino was created by the founder of Racing Junk, because he wanted to create a more streamlined buying and selling app that allowed users to see just what they wanted rather than all those ads that get in the way and the random crap that nobody really wants. So head on over to rhino.co and sign up for a free account 
and find the car part, race car, classic car, modified street machine, whatever it is you're looking for, or you can post yours, rhino.co, R-Y-N-O.co. Classified for racers, built by racers. And let's throw it over to our chat with Josh Williams. Again, Xfinity Series mainstay for DGM Racing. We talked a lot about Arca. He cut his teeth in Arca, the last of a dying breed. Talked about a crazy incident that could have not only ended his racing career, but ended his life. Kind of has some parallels to Jeremy Clements' story about almost losing his hand, if you guys remember when he told that story on Victory Lane. Plus his future aspirations. Does he want to move up? Are we going to see him on Sundays? I'll let him answer for you. Be sure to strap in because this one's a bit of a wild ride. He is a character like no other, and I feel like he doesn't get enough coverage. That's why I wanted to put Josh Williams in victory lane. Pleasure to be joined this week by J-Dub himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Williams of DGM Racing, Xfinity Series competitor. The first order of business that we got to get out the way. Your mullet, it is here. And it is legendary. I feel like it comes and goes, though, right? Like, sometimes you cut it, you're looking a little cleaner, but sometimes you're letting it all hang out like y'all right now. For the record, I am on Team Mullet all day. So why why does it come and go? What's the reasoning here? Oh, man, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to keep up with, to be honest with you. Um, you know, like, actually, I'm going to go this evening and and get her, get her slicked up a little bit for Atlanta, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it's just you got to keep up with the sides, man. That's the hard part. You got to keep up with the sides. So it's a, it's a full-time job. I mean, like, I have a lot of respect for, like, females with long hair. I mean, <laughs> it's tough. My wife, she's like, listen, I told you. I'm like, man, this is a tough job. Yeah, I know. You got your race car driver. You have your day job, which we'll get to in a little bit, and tending to your hair full-time. So you're triple dipping right now. Uh, hey, man. I mean, I do it all. <laughs> triple threat josh williams i love it well i appreciate you making some time for me here today uh i want to get to know you a little bit better and i want the fans to as well because we had your teammate alex LeBay on a couple weeks ago learned a lot about him his background growing up in canada so let's start there with you you're not canadian i feel i don't know a single canadian person with the mullet do you that's just an aside i tried to get alex to do it man but the old labradoodle, he just, he can't, he ain't hanging with it. He's like, ah, he's like, ah, you know, I just, I can't do it. I'm like, all right, dude, whatever. It's <laughs> a great um, accent. I like how you call him labradoodle. He probably loves that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he does or not, but he smiles a lot. So I figured he, at least he gets a kick out of it, I guess. He's Canadian. He's too nice to tell you what he really thinks probably, right? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. All right. Well, Let's talk about how you got introduced to racing. Uh, I know you started in go-karts, then you ran some fast trucks, some legend cars, your dad raced, and I assume that he probably gave you the bug pretty early on in your life, and that's all you've pr pretty much ever wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, man, I, they built me a custom go-kart when I was two and a half years old with a five-and-a-half horse Briggs motor on it, and like all the other kids, they had power wheels. I didn't have power wheels. I had go-kart, and uh, my mom was pissed off um i mean i was too so i really don't remember much but i do remember the story about dad firing up inside the house on christmas morning and he actually burned a hole in the carpet because he was like revving it up and he, oh oh man it wasn't good it wasn't good for him i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> he was in the doghouse next morning 
Yeah, tough deal, man. But no, I just that's all I've ever done. I, I've never had a real job. Uh, I've, well, I mean, I guess some people consider this a real job, but mm. I've worked on race cars my whole life. I've built them. I've drove them. That's all I've ever done. So it's just, I mean, this is a, a full-blown, full-time life for me, really. I mean, it has been since I was little. You know, it's, right. we've traveled all, traveled all over the country and, you know, raced everywhere from California to Minnesota to the, to the tip of Florida. So um, it's just something I've always enjoyed doing, and hopefully I can do it till the end. So much so that I think you were 15 years old, you moved, you left home, went to Charlotte, finished high school and, and the rest of your school online just to pursue this dream, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, dad's like, well, cause I was missing so many days of school that they would send letters to the house. Like, Hey, you know, we're going to like expel him. And mom's like, he's got to go to school. And I'm like, I know I have to go to school, but like we got a race this week. <laughs> so so we, we set up an online school deal. And, and once we did that, I did it in Florida for a little while. And then my dad's right. like, well, I don't even, he's like, I don't even know why you're here. Like, you know, if, if you're going to do this and you, and you think you can make it, you need to move to North Carolina. Uh, so I was really good friends with the Reagans, uh, David Reagan, Ken Reagan, Beverly. Yeah. I, I actually lived at, at Ken and Beverly's house for a little while when I first moved up here. Um, oh. so yeah, I got, we, uh, I get to eat dinner with the Reagans every evening and Ken would take me up to David's shops so I could work. And it was, uh, it was fun times. And once I was old enough to run the Arca series, uh, we got Ken hooked us up with Barry Owen, um, did a lot of stuff with Mike Wallace and, and, um, the Allison's and stuff like that. And so we built an Arca car. And when I mean, we built an Arca car, I mean, we didn't go buy one. We didn't buy a chassis. We built the entire car. So yeah, that was, uh, that's actually the the same car that I won both my ARCA races with in 2016. Wow. And that, when did you build this car? Uh, 2009. I love it. That's ARCA, baby. Yep. Yeah. Everybody's like, man, they, they got all these new cars and they're like, yeah, this is the lightest, latest and greatest thing. And I'm like, well, you finished second. So I, I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, that's, you know, I always built stuff, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And building that car, when I was 15 and, and being able to drive that car, you know, I'm going to call it in, in a national series is that was pretty cool. You know, I was like, man, we built this thing from nothing. So it's, uh, that was cool. And I just took a chance, man, took a chance and you know, it's, it's paid off so far. We're still climbing. Yes, we are not done yet. Well, the Reagans, I mean, they, they're a very historic name in motorsports and especially down in the Southeast part of the United States, uh, Ken's done a ton of work with, uh, Bandoleros as have you, David, obviously cup series winner in his own right. How'd you get hooked up with them in the first place? Does it date back to your Bandolero days? Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to the old Bandolero legends car days. Um, me and, uh, Chris Busher drove for the same guy and, uh, you know, they were all real tight with the Reagans and Ken would always like call me and Chris into the office, you know, after a shootout race on Tuesday, we'd be in there Wednesday morning. He's like, now boys, now, now let me tell you, you can't be acting like that. Now you boys are going to be racing on Sundays one day. And man, I just, me and Chris would leave and we're like, man, like he's all the time on us. And I mean, he was right. You know what I mean? He, he was right. You know, it's, uh, he taught us a lot and, and it, it was fun times. Uh, our little, uh, Wednesday meetings with, with Ken Reagan. We had to bring him a diet Mountain Dew and a Nutter Butter. That was that was part of the program. I feel like that's a good diet. I mean, I'd take a Nutter Butter and a Diet Dew. <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, yeah, for sure. I would. Yeah. All right. So you race with Chris Busher. Uh, you, you're obviously not racing with him on Sundays every single week, but you're at the track with him on the same weekends. You guys reminisce at all about back in the day, getting scolded by David Reagan's dad. And here you are making a name for yourselves and cup and Xfinity. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about it sometimes he doesn't live too far from my shop. So every now and again, he'll, he'll pop off and, and cool. say hello. So, uh, we give him a hard time. We're like, like if he doesn't show up for a little while or whatever, it's like, Hey man. I know you're big time and all you race on Sundays and whatnot, but I mean, he'll come by and hang out with the little people and yeah, man. He, gets, he gets mad at us, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's fun, man. It's good times. I mean, we, we both worked hard and, and Chris is just like me, man. He's, you know, he worked on his own stuff for a long time and, and, uh, you know, we, I guess we kind of did, did, we're doing it the hard way. So. Speaking of legends and bandoleros, I read on your website and I'm curious if this fact is still true. Your favorite racing moment of all time was winning the 2005 Bandolero Championship. Is that still true? It's it's pretty it's pretty close up there. It's I'd, up I'd there. Probably say, I'd probably say winning the ARCA race at, at Nashville was was probably the, the coolest one. Our first ARCA yeah. win, but but it, it's funny because like you know the 05 Bando Nationals was at the fairgrounds, and uh, uh, you know we won the ARCA race at the fairgrounds. So that was pretty right. cool, but. No, that that Bandolero race was, was kind of special because, um, you know, there there were so many kids in that field, you know, that, that are running cup today. You know, I mean, my poor buddy Bubba Wallace, he had to finish second to me that night. So, damn. Uh, I know it's tough. It probably still tears him up pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> He's watching this right now saying, man, what could have been? I could have been Josh yeah. Williams. Hey, man, some people wish they could be. Not everybody could be J Dub. He's just B Dub. That's right. Yeah, I, man. I mean, I think J Dub sounds better. I do too. Yeah, it flows off the tongue a little bit easier. So we got that out the way. We'll we'll get to your Arca wins because I want to chat about that. But going in chronological order here, that was 05. Let's skip ahead a, a few years to 2009. I read that you were a participant in something called Humpy's Heroes. When you think of Humpy, Humpy Wheeler in the racing world, obviously a huge name. Hall of Fame type resume for him. Uh, what was that program like for you? Because I, I admittedly had never really heard of it before, but anything that Humpy Wheeler puts his heart, heart and soul into, it's going to be top notch. And to be a part of something like that with him probably had to be a big deal for you at that time. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I think I was the youngest one of our of our class at that point in time. And uh, man, it it was cool because first of all, they said I wasn't old enough at the time because you i think you had to be 16 and i was 15 and they were like well you kind of turned 16 in the middle of it so let's just you know whatever let's just do it yeah so we all did a, a bunch of different competitions and they kept you know knocking people down knock people down knock people down and and um we got to do a lot of cool things man we got to run on dirt we run some legends car stuff we run some cup cars some market cars wow. some trucks and uh you know, it was a blast. I mean, I, I had fun. It, it was probably the the coolest thing that I got to be a part of, you know, at that time. It was just, you know, you got all these people standing around. Kenny Wallace was there, you know, David Reagan, uh, yeah. Humpy Wheeler. And it's like, man, these guys are cool, you know, like they're big time. And, uh, you know, it, it was just fun for me to, to be a part of it and, and to actually – get the chance to to compete for like you know one of the the top five spots i mean 
that was impressive. And um, I actually seen those guys like years later. I don't remember where I was at, but I seen Trip Humpy's son, and uh, I think it, we were at a restaurant somewhere. And uh, he comes. He's like, "Hey," he said, "Come over here." He said, "I want to tell you something." I mean, and when I say this is years later, I said, I'm not talking like two. I'm talking like ten years later. Yeah, yeah. He's like, man. He says, "I, I want to tell you something." I said, "Yeah, Trip, we got." He says, uh, "I just want you to know if you'd been uh, if you'd have been 18 years old." Can you still see me? I got you now. Yeah. He said, man, he said, I just want you to know if you'd been 18 years old, you'd won that competition. And I was like, well, why didn't I, you know, why couldn't you just say I won anyways? He goes, well, he said, first place was a, was a camper world truck ride. And he says, you wasn't old enough. I said, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, dude, it's so much fun, man. You know, just the, I wish they had stuff like that, you know, these days and, um, I wish that they could do more with it. You know, there's so many kids out there that, that have the ability and that have the talent, you know, to run in the top three series and, and yeah. to, to do very well. But, you know, the, the funding might not be there or, or, you know, whatever it may be. I just wish there was more opportunities like that for, for people to, to have a chance to see some of these kids' talent. And, and at that point in time, that's what they were doing, you know. And I didn't get a cup right out of the deal or anything like that, but I met a lot of people a ton of people i got a lot of experience and i got connections and, and, the, and i think that helped me out the most so what was it was it kind of like a combine type thing bunch of different disciplines different cars different surfaces that type of thing oh yeah yeah we did everything from even media stuff you know like they graded us on how we did interviews and how we they had like questions. the roush gong show back in the day too it sounds similar it was it was pretty similar it was pretty similar so they uh they actually set us up so they put us they put all of us in the same car and they put like four thousand pound springs in the back of this thing and they didn't tell anybody but they wanted people to like spin out and see how how you were going to handle it because i mean right. they're so they applied a lot of pressure you know throughout the week hey you know this is what you know this is what we need to do this is what we expect of you guys and they're like you know make sure you hit your marks you don't spin you don't have any issues and like everybody was spinning out and some of these kids were like losing their mind. So when, when I went out there, like they would like spin out or whatever, you know, kind of get stuck or whatever. They'd have to back up. Well, I just matted it. I mean, gave her all she had, but <clears throat> spun it out and kept going. And like, I made like one more lap and uh, Andy Hillenberg, who was, you know, supplying all the vehicles for us at that time. He's like, He's, he keys the radio and he's laughing. He's like, Josh, you can pull off. So I'm like, all right. So I pull in and they drop the window net and they're like, how was it? I said, I was just a little free, you know, like whatever. Yeah. And uh, they were like, well, you passed for today. You can go sit in the bleachers. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, what are you even talking about? So, I mean, it was just, it was cool, man. We run dirt late models, modifieds, you know, it, it was a blast. And that's some of the stuff I never done before. That was my, my first time ever on dirt was, was doing that uh deal with the Humpy's heroes and it who was else fun. was uh who else was there with you um oh man uh swilling was there justin swilling um who else do we have like anybody that people see racing on the weekends now actually no hmm. yeah 
Yep. No, you uh, made it no, though. Yeah, I was that guy. <laughs> there you go. But uh, but yeah, there's just a couple of them. I, mean, I don't even remember. Brandon Thompson, I think he was there. Um, what's Steve Grissom's? What's his son's name? He oh, was there. Yeah. So but, still uh, some big-ish names. Yeah, yeah. There, there was, there was some stacked people in there, man. And it was like people from different, you know, different backgrounds. Like there was really good dirt guys and really good asphalt right. guys. Good road race guys, so it's kind of like SRX, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, same concept, same concept. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Well, that was awesome, and then you ended up working your way up through ARCA to Xfinity. But before we get there, you almost didn't get there because you had a real bad accident when you were a teenager. You ended up spending five days in the ICU, it was on a four wheeler, (laughs) head on crash, gnarly stuff. I mean, you're all good now, clearly. You got the mullet going, it's rocking and rolling, but I mean, kind of crazy to look back on it now and think of what is now almost was not at a certain point. What, what, what happened in that accident and then in the immediate aftermath to, to recover and get back to being behind the wheel yeah. of a race car? Yeah, that was a, uh, that was a bad day for sure. Um, I mean, I can't even tell you anything about it cause I don't remember. So, <laughs> so, uh, basically we raced on Saturday night at our local short track. And one of the guys that, that worked for me was one of my good friends. And he left his phone in the pit box or I left my phone in the pit box and he was actually grounded for having bad grades. So I went to get my, I didn't even get my phone out of the pit box. I just left it in there. I told my mom, I was like, Hey, so I'm gonna ride the four wheeler over Taylor's house. And it's exactly one mile. When I say it's exactly one mile, like driveway to driveway is exactly one mile. I said, I'm going to ride over to Taylor's house, see if he's still grounded. If, if he's not, we're going to go ride four wheels today. She's like, all right. Well, apparently we had the same conversation at the same time with our moms, and we left our houses at the exact same time. No communication whatsoever. Zero. Wow. And there's one blind corner by my parents' house that you, mean, you just can't see anything on the other side. It's kind of like a 90-degree corner, and, you know, it's got trees hanging off the side, but we always, you know, rode off, off the side of the road in the grass. Right. Well, at exactly five tenths of a mile, we hit each other. Man. Yep. So they, uh, they transported us to like a Home Depot parking lot, and then they put us in two separate helicopters and took us to two different places. And uh, the only thing I remember is like I woke up in in the hospital, and I was like, "Oh, this isn't good." <laughs> the first thing popped in my head was like, "Man, I gotta pee like bad." <laughs> so, I, so I go to I go to get up. And like, I mean, I'm not paying any attention. Like, I don't even know who's in the room or what's going on. And I go to get up. I just fall on the floor. Boom. Like, I can't walk. And I'm like, oh, hell. I was like, this is real bad. Damn. So I guess it's just, you know, from from being there for so long. I, I mean, I, I was finally fine. And, and I got to be able to walk or whatever. And they let me go a couple days later. But, um, but yeah, man, it was, it, was a, it was a scary moment for sure. It, it's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a different, different experience, man. It's. And we were wearing helmets. It's not like, you know, we were, we're riding without helmets. If we wouldn't have had helmets on, I wouldn't be doing this interview with you. That's, that's a proof yeah. fact. That is wild. Well, did you go pee? I did. And yeah. not on myself. That's important. Glad you got that un- under control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here standing with us now. All right, so let's get into your racing career because once you recover from that, you hit the ground running once again. 
you got back behind the wheel of a race car and not like the kids are doing it now where you get in, you drive, you go home, you work on your cars, you build them from the ground up. As you said, I feel like Josh, you're kind of one of the last of a dying breed, so to speak, because nowadays we don't see drivers come up through ARCA for years and years and years and then go into the national series. You know, drivers will maybe run a couple used to be K&N races or late model races, get a chance in a truck, an Xfinity car, and then end up working their way up if they have the sponsorship and the funding to go with it. But you cut your teeth in ARCA, and then you went to Xfinity, and you spent a lot of time down in ARCA. I'm curious for you, though. I probably know the answer. I mean, that that was not a conscious choice or decision by you, right? It was more so, I want to race. This is the avenue that we have to race because we have the cars. We have the inventory. We maybe have the funding to do it. And ARCA was the place that you guys, as a family team, were able to do that the best. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, that was what we had. You know, I mean, they're, you know, me and Dad talked about it, you know, for a little while. And it's like, what do you do? Do you go super late model racing or do you go ARCA racing? And, right. You know, we um, we sat down and, and had some conversations with the Reagans. And we had some conversations with Barry Owen. And they're like, well, what do you think? You know, what's what's this going to cost or, you know, what's, what's going to be the difference, you know, one way or the other. And, and we kind of weighed it out and it's like, man, I mean, you're really almost spending the same amount of money to, to go run these super late models all over the country. Let's, why not just run ARCA cars? Similar and, conversations uh, going on today. Yeah. And, and that's what we did, man. So, um, it was, it's tough. I mean, there was times where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm over this. Like, I'm just going to go work for a team somewhere or something like it's just so stressful. It's like, you know, you get mad because it's like, man, can I, can I do this? Can I beat these guys? You know, there's, I mean, we're showing up like the shop that I'm actually sitting in front of now. I mean, it's, it's a 40 by 60 metal building. You know I mean? There's, it was me and, you know, sometimes three or four other people if we were lucky and right. we were going to the racetrack. And we wouldn't fly anywhere. I mean, we drove pretty much everywhere we went all together. Yep. Doing and, more with less. Yeah, we got a, we had a 28-foot enclosed trailer and a dually. And we were going racing. And uh, we had – Old we, school. We, yeah, we run out of that 28-foot trailer until we won Nashville. Um, and my dad actually got mad at us because we were taking so long to load up. And it's like, dude, we're putting everything in this trailer that is in that big semi beside you. Like – <laughs> it's gonna take a minute. It's like Legos, but you're gonna have to do some time. Yeah. So uh, we we bit the bullet and, and got a little bit bigger trailer. So, uh, but no, it's it was fun. You know, it was tough. It was it was hard. It was, you know, people get mad at each other. We'd yell at each other, and but we made it. You know, and our biggest thing is is we didn't want. I've never drove anything that that I haven't won in. You know, like I've never moved on without winning, and you know, once we won those couple arc races and I mean, we were really competitive, you know, every week, you know, 2015, 2016, I think we really showed that, that we, we could do it and we could run against those guys. And yeah, you know, we felt like we did, we did our job. Yeah. So 2012, you guys ran full time with your family team. Uh, you started in 2010. So that was a couple years of kind of doing some partial schedules, full time family team in 2012. And then 2013, you finished fifth in points, but that does not tell the full story because 
Dude, you were all over the place. You ran for, I think it was four teams. You start and parked for one team. You ran for GMS for a little bit too. Somehow, some way, after starting parking, hopping from team to team, you finished top five in points. I feel like that year was just crazy on all levels for you on track. Yeah, that man, the, the deal working with GMS was a blast. I mean, it was so cool to, I mean, they had every tool that you could ever imagine. You know, like we had pull downs, we had the right shop equipment. And I was like, like man, this is fun. <laughs> oh, I was like kid in the candy store, but I'm like, ah, oh, look at this. It's like, we don't even have to work that hard. You know, it's like yeah. everything's so much easier that way. And that was fun. And uh, there's a couple races on that schedule that we weren't going to just because they were too far. And, you know, like the, the, the cost was just too much. And, right. Um, uh, I did two starting parks, I think, that year. I did one for the Rulo brothers, and uh, I think that was when Mason Mitchell was driving for them. And I go up there to do a starting park, and he's like, hey, you know, we haven't ran this car in a really long time. Um, we actually just – we put door plates on it, and we changed the body. It used to be a Taurus at the beginning of the year. And I'm like, it used to be a, a Ford Taurus. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, God. I'm like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> So, so we go out on used tires for a couple laps of practice. I come in, I get out, and he's like, "Well, how was?" I, I said, ah, "You know, it's not too bad." And you know, I, I feel like I need a little bit more gear. He's like, "Yeah, we didn't have two of the same gear, so you know, we just put something we had closer to." It. I said, "All right, you know, whatever." I was like, "Well, how were we?" He says, "You're sixth. and I'm like, "Really?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh man," he said, "Do you think you can find us some tires to qualify on?" So I went through my phone and I called everybody I could call. I'm like, listen, I need one set of tires because we're going to qualify and then we're just going to kind of ride around as long as we can and then pull off. So we end up finding some money for some tires and um, <laughs> I run the whole race. So I would pit second time by regardless because I, I, it didn't matter if I was in front of Mason or if I was behind Mason. I had to pit right. second time for using the same crew guys. So basically we would take his tires off of his car roll them down to my pit stall and put his old tires on my car. I think I finished fifth or sixth or something in that race. Um, uh, Charlie crawl. He'll, he'll actually, he's, he's pretty good at telling that story. Cause oh, yeah. every time I see him, he's like, man, he's, that's probably the best starting park I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you, well, you yeah. started, but you didn't park. Yeah. I told him, I'm like, you just let me know when you want me to come in. He's like, I'll let you know. And uh, they, we took the checker, and he's like, all right, you can pull in now. I'm like, all right, Gary. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good point. Story. For it. Yeah, yeah. it's fun, man. It's just fun. Great Darkest story. series is a blast. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, now I, I just read an article by Matt Weaver. I'm not sure if you saw it, but it was kind of like talking about the state of ARCA and where it is right now. Bill, and Billy Venturini always, he has some really good quotes in it. You've raced in it forever. You obviously still follow the series. They have a couple companion weekends with you guys in Xfinity. You probably know a whole heck of a lot of people that are still in that series. What do you think of ARCA at the moment? I mean, like, they're, they're kind of in this weird situation, flux kind of state where they're under NASCAR's banner, but they're still kind of the redheaded stepchild type of thing. They still have their own identity, but with next gen coming in, they may have get a new flux of inventory. There's a whole lot of different parts and pieces that are going on with ARCA right now. I'm curious your perspective, somebody that's been in it and had success with it. Yeah. I mean, 
I think the biggest the biggest thing with the Arca series is, you know, before when I first started, like, you know, when you called NASCAR and says, hey, I, you know, I, I want to get approved to run, you know, Kansas or whatever. They're like, well, you know, you got to run Arca. Okay, no problem. They're like, well, I want to run Bristol in, in a truck. They're like, well, have you run any Arca races? Well, no. Well, you need to run some Arca races and call us. You know, and I think that's why there were so many people, you know, in running ARCA, you know, in, in, in past years. I mean, because you had to, like you had, you had to show, right. you had to show credentials. You had to prove that you had the ability to do this. And now, you know, some of the people that have even called me, they're like, hey, I want to run an ARCA race, but, you know, I can run a truck race or whatever or a short track Xfinity race, but I just, you know, I really don't want to spend that much money right now. And I'm like, how did you even get approved? Like you won four street stock races at Bowman gray. And like you won at K one, one time, you know, racing against a 12 year old. It's like, it blows my mind, man. And it, it's crazy. Cause you can see it on Saturdays and Fridays and Sundays. Yeah. I mean, there's, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's a ton of drivers out there that have a lot of talent in the top three series, but there's a ton of them that I, that I think, you know, either move too fast or they just don't have the experience. You know I mean? It's not that they can't drive, but you know, racecraft is a little different than, than being able to hold the gas down and, and post the time on speed charts. Yeah, definitely. That's good. It's good. Good perspective by you. So thank you for sharing that. Let's talk about some, uh, some ARCA wins. I know Nashville was a big one for you. That's probably 1A to the 1B05 championship. But Madison 2016, that was also a big one as well. I know you guys as a team pulled a few all-nighters in the week leading up because you originally weren't going to enter, and then you did because you fixed your engine, and you finally got to victory lane. That, that must have been one of those moments, as cliche as it is, where you're standing in victory lane after the blood, sweat, and tears that you guys have put in at that point, as a family team for four or five years saying, you know what, this is why we do it. This is all worth it. Yeah. It's funny you say fix the motor because we just put the bad one back in it. <laughs> we just, we didn't have another one. You know what I mean? And uh, You got to fact check me. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to keep you on your toes now. Please do. But, uh, Please do. But, but man, it's like we weren't, we weren't going. It just, we weren't going. We decided like the day before, like, listen. You know, we're out of options. We, like, borrowed a motor from somebody else, went to the chassis dyno, and it wasn't any better than what we had. It was actually worse than what we had. Mm. Um, and I'm like, we just won't go. Like, we just won't go. It's a long drive. I mean, we don't want to drive all the way up to Wisconsin from Charlotte and and break a motor and, you know, waste all that time and money. You know, we'll just, we'll just stay here. It is what it is. So I get home, and my wife's like, what are you doing? home like we're not going she's like why because our motor's messed up she still does it run i said yeah she goes put it in and go race if it blows up it blows up and i'm like i don't know about all that she's like do it she said you'll be just fine it's like okay so i called all the guys now it's like 10 o'clock at night right and we've got to leave the next day so I'm like, hey, where are you at? Oh, I'm at home. Where are you at? Oh, I'm out with the wife. Well, where are you at? I'm getting some, I'm at a bar somewhere. I'm like, well, get home, pack your bag, and I'm heading to the shop now. Let's put this motor in. 
we'll scale the car real quick. We'll load it up and we'll drive to Wisconsin. And they're like, all right. They didn't even, didn't even hesitate. Like here we are. So we slam this motor in this car, drive all the way to Wisconsin. And we had, I think we had two, two and a half sets of tires, I guess. And one set of scuffs from the week before. So we practice on the scuffs and we're pretty good. DJ Danny Johnson was my crew chief at the time. He's like, how's that feel driver? I said, man, this is pretty sporty right here. Like this thing's good. He's like, all right. So we stopped practice short, like just quit, put it on jack stands. We don't have any tires. So we all made sandwiches, grabbed us a drink. And we went and sat in the stands and watched the rest of practice. Well, these, everybody's <laughs> staring at us like, what are you doing? Like, we're the only car sitting on jack stands. Everybody else is out there just making laps, making laps. So finally, I look at DJ. I said, do you want to make a mock run? He's like, we don't have any tires. I said, no, nah, no, nah, on our old tires. He's like, dude, you're crazy. I said, let's do it. So we tape this thing shut, put it in Q-trim, and we go to like fourth on the board. And he's like, dude, he's like, you're crazy. I'm like, man, that's just, we got a good race car. I don't know where we qualified. We didn't qualify as good as we should have. We missed it a little bit. But, you know, we got in the race and just kept digging, kept digging. And the motor, it would miss. It would miss real bad. Really? Yeah, but it would take like 50, 60 laps for it to start missing. So we got up to the front, and I'm just riding around, riding, riding. Well, nobody's talking to me on the radio, like nothing. Radio silence. Spotter's not saying a word. DJ's not saying a word. I can't hear anything. So I'm like, all right, we're cool. So I'm just cruising, cruising, cruising. Finally, I see this white car pop up in my mirror. I'm like, what? Ain't nobody saying a word. Well, time Majeski rolls outside of me, and I'm like, I got to go. Like, because I know he's second, you know? I'm like, I got to go. So I take off. And I start messing with my radio. So finally, I unplugged it, plugged it back in, whatever. And I'm like, hey, can you guys hear me? Like, yeah, we've been talking to you for 100 laps. <laughs> I'm like, I haven't heard a word y'all said, like nothing. They're like, well, you're doing good. DJ's like, man, I was worried there for a little while. He said, Majeski ran us down from like a half a track back, and then you just took off again. I'm like, I didn't know. I was just cruising, you know, maintaining. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we won the race or whatever, and it's like all that stuff happened at one time, and we end up still pulling off a win. So it's like, you know, it's just so cool for us to, to be able to do stuff like that as, as a family-owned small team. I mean, we were running against really good people, Briscoe, Majeski. Like, I mean, there was good people in the field. Yeah. Probably one of those moments where you look back on it now. And, I mean, like, even the stuff growing up, getting scolded by Ken Reagan with Chris Busher, and getting in that accident with your friend. It's all those little things that come together in that moment. And you're saying to yourself, like, wow, we actually did it. Because I'm sure at some points before in your ARCA career, you're thinking, as you said, like, it's not worth it. I'll just go work for a team. It's fine. Less stress, more stability, whatever. But that's the moment that you guys work for. And, and you finally made it happen. All thanks to your wife, by the way. Yeah, I know. I know. And at that time, she was still my girlfriend. So <laughs> it, uh, anytime, anytime she tells you to go racing, that's, that's a good thing. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's a blast, man. But no, I, I've had fun in the Arca series and, you know, made a lot of friends. Like, you know, me and Briscoe, we, we became pretty good friends you know, throughout the ARCA series. Um, it took me, it took me running him off the racetrack at Berlin for us to kind of, kind of, you know, level things out a little bit, but, uh, 
you'll have to ask him about that story next time you see him. I'm sure he's got a good version of it. Okay, I will. I'll add it to my list. And that same year was big for you too because you made your first Xfinity starts for Jimmy Means and King that year. I think you start and park those as well, but still, big deal to, to move up to Xfinity that year for you. Yeah, yeah, it was. that was pretty awesome, man. I was, I was actually buying – I was at Circle Track Warehouse in Mooresville buying used parts, and, and Jimmy's like – do you have a NASCAR license? No. He said, are you approved? I said, yeah. I said, I'm approved for everything. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. He's like, hmm. He said, said, I'll get with you. He said, I might need you to do a starting park for me in Michigan. And I'm like, man, I don't want to do a starting park. You know, like I'm not a starting park driver. And I thought about it and I'm like, it might be my only chance, you know? So, so I did it. And then, uh, then everybody knew I had a license. So it's like, Hey, you know, like he qualified the car on the show. He did a good job. And, you know, Mario called me and we started doing stuff like that. And now I show up every Saturday, get to play. Yeah, you do. Let's talk about Mario. Cause when I was talking to Alex, it made me realize that Mario is so underappreciated and undercovered, honestly, from a media perspective. I feel like he has his hands and has had his hands in so many different drivers, careers, cars, teams different body like everything how did you first meet mario goslin there's got to be a story <laughs> uh you know uh him and my dad knew each other uh, we used to own a racetrack in south florida and you know they knew each other a little bit and when i was running arca um you know we needed to take two cars somewhere and we didn't have the ability well mario had a trailer so we ran the ran the trailer for mario and it's like wow well, we really don't have a crew chief can you do it mario's like yeah no problem so we kind of built a relationship, you know, back in the ARCA days about it. And I'm telling you right now, that is the hardest working guy in the garage. Hands down. That's what everybody says. I mean, my man shows up on Saturday mornings to walk through the gate and it looks like he ain't slept in years. <laughs> like Probably hasn't. Oh, dude, he's just slam wore out and he works so hard, so hard. I mean, there's limited people in the shop. You know, he's bringing me and Alex the best race cars that they can bring us to the racetrack every weekend. And we're competitive. I mean, we are competitive, you know, Very. but despite the, despite the bad luck, I mean, me and Alex are, are top 10, top 15, you know, every weekend, you know? So, I mean, it's, uh, that's huge. And I mean, and Mario's definitely deserves some more credit and people don't, people really don't even realize like they have no clue yeah. what goes on in small town, Lake Wales, Florida. <laughs> I feel like I want to find out, but I may be scared to. Yeah. I I mean, I'll give you some good hotels a little farther away from. Okay. I appreciate yeah. that. It's good to know people. <laughs> it's good to know people. Yeah. Let's stick with Mario, though, because 2018, fast forward a little bit as well. He did way more Xfinity races that year. Drove in 20 of them in the 90 car. This is with DGM still. But you also crew chiefed a bunch of races. So you kind of filled into Mario's shoes, half driver, half crew chief. Did you enjoy making strategy calls atop the pit box? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I always said if I, you know, if I never made it in driving, I'd, I'd probably be a crew chief. Cause I mean, that's, you know, I did that for many, many years, you know, in the ARCA car. You know, that's just yeah. what I did. You know, we didn't have a crew chief. So it was like, hey, I'm going to come down pit road. We're going to do four tires. We're going to go up two rounds on track bar. I want you to take pound out of the right front, yada, yada, yada. Cause you understand what all that means. You get it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand. Like I would literally have them give me the numbers under caution before we went green. So I could figure out our fuel mileage for the next stop. So it's like, 
you know, it, it's, I've been there, done that, played that game, got the t-shirt, right. you know, it's like, so I respect Mario for, for what he does, you know, cause that's, that's how he did it, you know, for a long time. So, but yeah, the, the crew chief aspect's pretty cool. I think the most fun was working with Andy Lally. I mean, that guy is probably one of the best uh, road race guys that, that I've ever seen. And, you know, it, his, his level of professionalism on the track, off the track, and his race notes are ridiculous. Like this man is telling me at the third blue turtle, it's like tight under braking. I'm like, Andy, I don't even know where this blue turtle is. Like, <laughs> I don't even know, man. So, yeah. so it's just, that, that was pretty cool for me. And I, and I learned a lot, you know, um, being on both sides, you know I mean, you, you learn every weekend, especially working with different drivers and different scenarios. You're like, well, you know, that's happened to me before, you know, now this is how, you know, this is how we handled it, you know, on his car, you know, maybe we could do the same thing on mine. So, um, I love it. I like it all. Yeah. It probably helps you now too, as a driver, because you understand what the crew chief needs information wise to help make your race car better. So when you're trying to relay that information back to your crew chief, you know what they need to hear specifically to try to help you. So it works both ways. Right. Yeah. Well, it just speeds the process up, you know, right. so much faster. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to look at tire sheets or you don't have to look at brake temps or, you know, you really don't have to look at air pressures. I mean, you could, you, you know what, you got to have confidence on both sides. Crew chief's got to have confidence in you and you got to have confidence in the crew chief. And that, that's what makes a good pair. So next year you DNQ'd one race at Richmond, but for all intents and purposes, you were full time in Xfinity. So at that point, you're Josh Williams, cut your teeth in ARCA, always racer, through and through, old school mentality. You ran full time in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. At that point, are you, are you saying, you know what? I feel like I've made it. You know, I have a full time ride in a NASCAR National Series, racing with the best of the best in these insanely fun cars to drive. Is your mindset that like, okay, I made it? Or did you still feel like a chip on your shoulder at that point? No, man. No, I mean, like I tell everybody, it's like, listen, if I if I didn't even have a ride for next year, I'd be tickled to death, man. Because I mean, it's I'm at this day and age, people like me aren't supposed to be doing this. You know what I mean? Like we're not. This isn't what we do. You know what yeah. I mean? We're supposed we're supposed to carry that kid's helmet. You know what I mean? We're not supposed to put <laughs> it on. So it's uh, you know, it's it's cool. I love it. Man, it's it's a dream come true for sure, and I'm thankful for all the opportunities that, that I've been given and, and that I'm still getting. It's it's uh it's pretty cool, man. But I'm gonna race on Sundays. You just watch. Oh, I got no doubt about it. Let's talk about last year though for one sec because that was your best year by far. Six top ten finishes. I mean, you had some big time finishes, and we're not even talking Daytona and Talladega where you got a couple as well. Fontana, Bristol, Kansas. Texas, that crazy race last year, you put that DGM car in the top 10 in all those races. That's big time for a small team like yours that clearly was outrunning their equipment and you as a driver are outperforming your equipment. I'm sure looking back on last year, especially now, given where you guys are as a team at the moment, you got to look back on that year and those specific finishes and say, man, like, I don't know if we necessarily like overachieved. That may be a good like baseline of information and like performance that you guys should strive for every single year. Cause you yourself, you know, you're capable of it. And Mario brings great stuff to the track every single week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 
you know, I tell I tell everybody, I tell my guys here at shops, like, listen, you just got to want it worse than the next guy. Like, that's all you got to do. And, I mean, I, I don't care if we're battling for 25th or we're battling for 5th. Like, I'm, I'm going to get by you regardless. And if yeah. I can, I can't. But I'm going to give it all I got. So, it's just, you know, just put in 100% effort. You know, and that's what I do every time I get behind the car. I mean, I just – I give it all it's got. And if, if 20th is it, we're going to finish 18th. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. just – that's just how it is. So, it's – you know, I mean – last year was very very good and and i think that we're on the same path i just think that the luck isn't as good as it was last year you know i mean our our finish our finishes definitely don't reflect of how good we really have been the xfinity field is so deep this year josh like tommy joe talks about it all the time but besides your four jrm cars and your Stuart haas car and your gibbs cars and ryan sieg and, that, and then you got you guys, Alex and yourself, a DGM up there. The, like, the field is just so deep top to bottom because you guys, you know, necessarily, you're not going to the track every week with race-winning speed. Maybe once in a blue moon it could happen. You guys could sneak in there. But if you guys get top 10s, like, that's a good day, A, because of your equipment and your budget, but B, the field this year specifically is just so deep. And it's gotten deeper in the past couple of years. Do you feel that when you're racing on Saturdays that the field is just so spread out but so evenly deep? Oh, yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, listen, I don't even know why you guys turn the TV on on Sundays because the big race is on Saturday. I mean, Preach, it, brother. I mean, it is. I mean, in, in reality, we, we've got the best aero package. Yep. We've got the best motor package. Yep. And I, in my opinion, we've got the tightest field of drivers. Yep. And it's, and it's in, all in staggered equipment. You know what I mean? So yep. I, I don't know, man. I, I just, I really love the Xfinity series a lot and it's, it's definitely tough. I mean, it is tough. I mean, you could be off by a little bit and, and, you know, lose a ton of spots because everybody's so good. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, everybody's trying to be better every week in the Xfinity series, you know, everybody's improving every year. Everybody's trying to buy new stuff and, and better motors, better equipment, better people. It's the Xfinity series is, I mean, it's, it's top of the board, man. It's, it is, it is so much fun. It, they're fun to drive, you know, the, they're fun, you know, just to be around all the officials, the guys. I mean, it's a cool series, man. It kind of reminds me of the Arca series really like back in the day. I guess that's just because of like the competition, the depth, and just the camaraderie that you've kind of grown to grown to love. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I cut up with everybody in the garage. I mean, I, you I don't care no way are. can't see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't care who you are. I, I talk crap to everybody. <laughs> so I, I don't know if they, I don't know if they like it or not, but they keep talking to me. But it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, I give them all a hard time. Yeah. Um, one thing that struck a chord with me last year, this conversation has been super upbeat, fun, positive. I, I hate to bring it down, but one thing that struck a chord with me was after Kansas, uh, best finish of your career. You think you get out of the car, jubilant, just unbelievable excitement. And Parker Kligerman, I'm sure, you know, like capture that unreal picture of you just reflecting on the roof of your car. Cause you race in honor of your buddy, Tim Hayes, who passed away earlier that week. I'm sure that that aftermath of that race had to be a whirlwind of emotions because here you are on top of the world. You finish almost top five in an Xfinity race on a mile and a half track. But then on the other side of things, you lost one of your really good buddies. So that really struck a chord with me because, you know, 
learning your story now too, seeing how you scratched and clawed your way there. You didn't really get to fully enjoy it, but at the same time, you knew that he would be he would be enjoying that with you, and he wanted you to be doing what you love. Oh yeah, well knowing him, he'd probably be giving me shit because I finished sixth and not fifth. Probably, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but but no, man, it's you know that, that whole deal was just wild, you know, and it I kind of you know I thought about it a lot, you know that that morning and and before the race, and and I was like, man, you know this is. At that point in time, it's like, you know, I kind of kind of tried to relate it all to like Michael Waltrip's deal, you know, because that's mm. kind of what it, that's what it felt like to me. You know, it's, it's like, man, this is crazy. And then after the race, I was like, this is spot on, like just totally total polar opposites. And yeah, it's like you don't you don't know you don't know what to do. You don't know if you need to be happy and excited or you don't know if you just want to go in the holler and cry. Like, right. You know, it's, it's, it was wild. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just glad that, that we made it all work and, and everything worked out in our favor. And I mean, if we were wrecked on lap five, I probably would have found the closest airport and been home in like two hours. I don't but, doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's just, it worked out good and, you know, it definitely didn't make the situation any better, but but uh, it, it eased it up a little bit. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's pick the mood back up. I got a couple more questions for you to end on. I appreciate your time, man. It's been awesome. Um, I know that you and your wife kind of have a day job of sorts. You help prepare foreclosed homes for auction. <laughs> okay, lots to unpack there. Uh, a, how did that come about? B, why do you do it? C, I assume that you enjoy it. <laughs> All right. So, so we did that. Uh, we actually, we actually don't do it anymore. Oh, we, okay. uh, we did it for a little while and, you know, at that point in time, like it was a good deal and, and, you know, you can make a little money at it, but the coolest part about it for us was like, I mean, anytime we would go do these deals, like the stuff is ours, right. You know what I mean? So we would either trash it or sell it or scrap it right. or whatever. And, uh, man, we found some cool stuff, you know, like just rent. I mean, some of it was just shady, but then some of it was pretty cool, you know? So, um, I don't know. It, it was something different. And at that point in time, I wasn't doing my legends and bandolero stuff. And, you know, so I was just trying to get some different type of income, you know, try to help pay the bills and things like that. So, right. But the market is so like right now a house doesn't sit. It's gone. It doesn't matter if it's full of stuff or not. Yeah. So we we lost a lot of volume there. So we finally were just like, eh, we'll just we'll quit doing this because there's there's not enough. And that's why I started, you know, doing my Legends and Bando stuff again. So that stuff picked up pretty good and we've had success at that. So I mean I'm not saying I wouldn't ever do it again. But I'm right. saying right now, I'd rather work on race cars. <laughs> yeah. Well, you let me right into that next question. You got your own driver development program. That's pretty cool. Josh Williams Motorsports. It's clearly really important to you. And like you said, it focuses on some legends, some Bandolero stuff as well. I know there's a couple other disciplines in there too, but um, how did that begin? Was that like an idea that you've had for a long time? Is it something that you want to give back to people and try to help that next generation? Uh, or is that actually something that helps you pay the bills? Yeah, it's all the above, actually. I mean, it, if there's a there's a D option, all the above, that was it. But yes, man, it's, um, you know, 
I worked on them a lot in Florida and did the Legends of Bando deal. And then when I moved up here, I didn't do it as much. And um, I started doing it for a little while and I stopped and then I started doing it again here, you know, the past couple of years. And they're really my biggest deal is, is I wanted to give people opportunity to help them, you know, kind of pave a path for people, whether, you know, they want to go all the way to the top or they're like, hey, you know, I just kind of want to be a Saturday night you know, racer. Right. You know, I, I wanted to be able to help them get that path. Cause you know, I had people help me and, and I feel like that's kind of faded off a lot. Like there's not a lot of people, you know, they've got to take care of their house on Lake Norman and pay their boat slip fee and, you know, pay the power bill at their condo in Charlotte. Like, right. Like that's what they're worried about. And I'm not worried about that. I'm, I want to help people and, and be able to show them, Hey, you know, this is affordable. Um, you know, one of my customers, uh, Bryce Applegate, they just bought a late model this year and, uh, they broke a starter and they're like, Oh, we gotta buy a starter. I said, ah, so we'll find one used parts store. And they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So like, you know, I'm showing them that, listen, we can go haul ass. We can be fast yep. and, and we can save money. Cause that's how I was taught. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like, like that, that, that Arca car, we built the, the left front upper a frame it said mock up, do not race. And we raced it like that for years. And it's like, we didn't even wipe it off. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, there's just, that's kind of what I want to help people with that everybody, they're like, Oh, racing, that's expensive. I'm like, yeah, it's expensive, but you can take a little bit and race a little longer than you can, you know, at other places. So that's kind of my biggest thing is just trying to help the kids and, and the parents and to do it for a while, you know, not just be a flash and maybe do it for a couple of years, but yeah but try to try to make it to where they can race for a really long time. That's really cool because I, th- I think as, as you know, you think of a driver development program and I think of driver's edge with Chevrolet or Ford performance or Toyota with all these young kids that they would tell you they have money and they come through the pipeline and they, they run up through Arca and trucks, Xfinity to cup because they have family funding. But this is something different. This is not, you need to come with daddy's money. This is not, you need $5 million of sponsorship to run a legends car or a bandolero. This is learning how to work on race cars, build race cars, race craft. These are, these are things that are integral to racing the way that you did it growing up that clearly has worked for you. So I think that's a different type of driver development that isn't necessarily the mainstream way. And it's not necessarily the right or the wrong way. It's just a different way that the mainstream is doing it now. And that's kind of what you want. Yeah. Well, I mean, mine's an actual development program. Their programs aren't development. Their programs are checking and savings accounts. You know what I mean? Like, true. I mean, I hate to say it like that. I'm not trying to be mean, but I mean, that's, that's honestly what it is. I mean, like, they're not going to, you're not going to walk in there as an average kid, you know, that's maybe won some late mile races and say, Hey, I'm here to, you know, I want to be a part of your development program. You know, what's it take? Like, do you want my resume? Like, what, what do I got to do? They're like, ah, man, I'd rather have your routing number. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what this is about. You know, what I mean? it's, I mean, it's, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we make all of our kids work on their cars, like all of them. It doesn't matter if they're eight years old or they're 28 years old. Yeah. You, you got to clean your car. You got to nut and bolt your car. You got to, you know, help set the toe. I'm not going to help you put your belts on. Like I'm not going to help you put your gloves on. So don't give me yeah. the old hands up. No, you know, so we try to, we try to teach them the way that I was taught. And uh, like <laughs> we taught one of our kids how to weld in, in shorts the other day. So it's like, 
you know, old school ways, man. Like, listen, you might not show up to the shop next week with shorts on, but you know how to weld. So. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's all life lessons, man. It's all life lessons. But yeah, nah, it's, it's the a old school way. Yeah. I'll get you out of here on this, Josh. I know you said uh, kind of flippantly, but I know you mean it. I We will see on Sundays. So my question was going to be, what's the goal moving forward? Are you cool to stay in Xfinity? It's a mix because you said, you know, if you don't have a ride for next year, you're perfectly content. You know, you're cool. You've had a great career. You've worked your way up. You've enjoyed a lot of success in your day. But you're not done yet because you do want to race on Sundays. You do want to win at the Xfinity level because you've won at every level that you're at. And you do want to eventually get up to the Cup Series and win there as well. So that is the ultimate goal for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's and I'm going to win on Sundays too. Like, it's just going to happen. I mean, you know, it, it might take a while. I mean, it might take a long time. And, and you know, the Xfinity deal, it, it's, it could take a while too. I mean, but you never know. We could go to Daytona and we could win that sucker right off a rip. You know I mean? It's, it's just luck of the draw, you know, and um, I'm, I'm pretty happy where I'm at and, and I'm definitely going to make something happen for sure. But, but you're going to see the old J-Dub fly across the screen on Sundays, man. I'm, I want to be that guy that everybody talks about, like, man, he reminds me of Dale, or, man, he reminds me of Tony Stewart. You know what I mean? Like, that's – there is no more of that. And all these people that I talk to, you know, like middle-aged people, you know, maybe a little older, they're like, yeah, yeah, we really don't watch NASCAR anymore because there's no old-school guys, you know. They're all, like, young kids. I'm like, hey, let's turn TV on Saturday. Like, I'm your old-school guy. You know, so, uh, I don't know. It's – I just want to be that dude, man. Well, you're doing that and then some. And uh, I'm glad that I called you an old school racer at the beginning and it came true because I had a feeling because I didn't know too much about your background. But now that we got all that on the record now, you are officially Josh Williams, J-Dub, mullet man, old school racer. Put it on a T-shirt. They'll sell like hotcakes. <laughs> I hope so, man. It's like, I mean, I've been in the shop all day today. We had a bandolero that was wrecked at summer shootout. We don't cut the front clip floor pan off of it, fix it this morning. So, like, I mean, I'm as old school as it gets, bud. Yeah, man. That's what you do. Well, I appreciate your time so much, man. It was great to get to know you a little bit better. I think the fans will be tuning in on Saturdays and rooting for the old 92. And well, I'm sure we'll be seeing you on Sundays down the road, too. But in the immediacy, best of luck this weekend at Hotlanta and down the road as the Xfinity series comes to a close, man. Josh, J-Dub, thank you for your time, man. And uh, thank you for your service to motorsports because what you're doing is really cool. It's awesome what you're doing. So we thank you for your time, and I know we'll be seeing a lot of you soon. I appreciate it, brother. Don't forget to put the old Cool Ray machine in the top ten this weekend. Yes, sir. Let's get number two this year. What do you say? That's right. And we're back. want to give a big thank you to Josh for giving us the time and of Misty for helping coordinate the conversation. Very much appreciated to those two. And I hope you guys listening enjoyed the conversation as I did, as much as I did conversing with Josh because it was fun to get to know him and he made me laugh a lot. Uh, not that all my guests aren't funny, but he just had a little something extra to him. The mullet just kind of has this starting baseline and it just, it all goes from there. So Josh, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. And we will be seeing you soon. Let's briefly chat about Atlanta Motor Speedway. Going to be the last race on the old, I guess, current surface at AMS. They announced a reconfiguration, repave, reprofiling, whatever you want to call it, plan of AMS. They're going to increase the banking from 24 to 28 degrees. 
They're going to narrow the grooves a little bit too. The repay was inevitable. I mean, it was always bound to happen at some point. The drivers just kept delaying it, saying, no, we love it here. We love the worn-out surface. The racing's fine. Uh, we like to move around. Reality is, the racing wasn't really that good. And even though they could move around, the television product wasn't great. So they're repaving it and they're changing it. But the drivers are real pissed off. Uh, and it's not just the drivers. Rodney Childers, not happy either. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, what they're doing is going to make the racing terrible. It's going to be one lane. Nobody's going to be able to pass. And if they want drafting, single lane, then that's what they're going to get. Uh, Denny Hamlin had some stuff to say. He woke up and chose violence on Twitter this week, called out SMI for not consulting the drivers. Steve Swift said as much at the press conference. And Denny basically, again, I'm paraphrasing here, said, well, they did something to Kentucky. That's off the schedule. They did something to Bristol. They had to put dirt on that thing. They did other things to Charlotte. There's a Roval, a.k.a. what he called a parking lot of a racetrack. And they also have put PJ1 in weird, um, obscure places on other tracks. And it hasn't worked. So Denny Hamlin's not too happy about it. Kyle Larson wasn't too happy either. Basically said, fans like crashes. If NASCAR wants drafting and a bunch of crashes and restarts, well, that's what they're going to get. I feel like they should consult the drivers because somebody like me has raced in a bunch of different stuff at a bunch of different places, and I kind of know what works. So I fall somewhere in the middle because Steve Swift and Atlanta, they are right. Like You don't want to consult the drivers with everything because they're just going to tell you what they want and what they're going to run best with. But you also want to give them a little bit of input because they are the ones that are putting on the show and racing every single weekend on your surface at your track. So I don't know. It's a slippery slope. I knew it was going to happen eventually. We all did. I just hope for Atlanta's sake and for NASCAR's sake that the track repave is actually good and it's not going to be as bad as everybody thinks or seems it's going to be. Quick abbreviated look nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. So never fails, right? Right after I posted last week's episode, Trackhouse Racing and Justin Marks just go ahead and decide to buy Chip Ganassi Racing, right? I feel like that's a little significant. Jeez, talk about a bombshell breaking news, right? Uh, not a lot of people saw this coming. They kept it pretty quiet, but it is a big, big, big deal. Daniel Suarez going to keep his ride for next year. Trackhouse gets two charters from Ganassi, all the assets, all the shop space. The question mark for me, though, is the personnel. Are they going to keep some engineers, some crew chiefs, uh, some people in the business department? Just all those different things. There's a lot of jobs at stake. So I hope for everybody at CGR's sake and for Justin Marks and Trackhouse that everything is able to work out there. Parker Price Miller is going to drive for Jordan Anderson Racing at Knoxville this weekend. Michael Annette is going to do the same with Young's Motorsports. Brett Moffitt is driving for AM Racing at Knoxville, his home track. And Morgan Alexander is making his debut with Nice Motorsports all on the dirt at Knoxville this weekend. As we mentioned, Atlanta announced their repave and reprofile project for next season and beyond, moving the banking from 24 to 28 degrees and narrowing the racing surface all around the track. Chase Elliott, defending champion, he's competing in the SRX season finale in a couple weeks at Nashville, and it was just announced that Haley Deegan is going to do the same. United Rentals has been named the official equipment partner of NASCAR. Andrew Ranger, three-time and defending Pinty Series champion, 
He's going to be back in the Pinty's this year for Rick Ware Racing. They're going to field a full-time Pinty's entry, and he's going to run the Xfinity race at New Hampshire for Rick Ware Racing. Johnny Klausmeyer, who's Chase Briscoe's crew chief, has been suspended for one race because he had two loose lugs after the race at Road America. And Taylor Gray, former guest on Victory Lane, he may actually be the youngest guest ever on the show. Remember, he had that really, really crazy crash earlier in the year, had to have some back procedures. He was sidelined for a while. He is back. He is healthy. He will be back behind the wheel this weekend in the ARCA race, and he's also going to run the Truck Series race at Watkins Glen, his first NASCAR National Series start. So glad to see Taylor back healthy and back racing. That'll wrap things up for episode 115 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you guys like what you heard here today from myself, from my dad, from my mom, from Josh, do me a favor, leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. Usually wherever you get your podcasts, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line and I will try to rectify that issue for you. Got a couple cool guests in the can coming up. I don't want to jinx any of them because I haven't recorded with them yet. But I think that you will be liking what you see pop up in your feed in the next couple weeks. So again, tell your friends, tell your family, subscribe to Victory Lane. It is free. It is easy. It is effortless. And it helps me out tremendously. Until next week, enjoy Atlanta. Stay safe. Get outside if you haven't already. Get vaccinated. And I'll catch you on the flip side.